If you've ever loved an addict, you may have reached an exhausted, painful point where you felt broken and were struggling to just keep it all together. I am Kim Moore, and this is Smiling Again, where in each episode we remind you that you are not alone. Together, one thing at a time, we will take small steps to introduce little changes into your life to help you let go, break free of guilt, and live with self-compassion so that you can feel good on the inside and start smiling again. Well, in this episode, I'm really excited about it because we're going to be talking about thoughts and feelings. And with me today is Don Stemmer. And I met Don on my healing journey. And I'm so incredibly grateful that I found her. Dawn has this huge long list of credentials behind her name. So I'm Dawn, before we get started chatting, I'm going to try to help everybody understand the extent of your expertise, your knowledge, your experience. Um, so Dawn is a psychotherapist and she is an integrated behavioral solutions focused for trauma practitioner. She has a long stream of accreditations behind her name. She runs her own private therapy clinic, which is called Into Health Wellbeing. And that's based in Merseyside in the northwest of England. She works with uh, brain working recursive therapies, grief relief, and international online calming intervention services lots of therapy services <laughs> how, how I'm going to sum that up and, and the key thing is that they're all integrated and this is what I absolutely love about Dawn um, so Dawn I'm really really happy to have you with me here today talking about thoughts and feelings so the first question I'm going to ask you is you know where I start with everyone is just Tell me your story. What led you down this path of working with so many different integrated therapies? Oh, that's a big question. How long have we got here, Kim? <laughs> well, I'll try and keep it very brief. Where did I start? Well, I only started, believe it or not, in my 50s. So I've done a lot of work since then. However, um, I think I've always been on a journey to try and find a way that I could feel comfortable. I never felt comfortable growing up at all. Um, in my own skin, never mind on the external environment. And I was always passionate about helping people. So I was kind of not a people pleaser, they were more animals. So my mum used to say if there was anything that was sick in the street, I would bring it home. But I had this really lovely connection with nature and I loved living in it and being in it as a child. And where I ended up is quite amazing really because over the times I grew up I was aware I'd had lots lots of problems um, educational problems um, dyslexia I couldn't read all right even when I left school I couldn't read all right and I only kind of really grasped that when I was about 35 after I had my daughter because um, I needed to kind of learn quickly to help her and she's exquisitely clever at reading but from all of that came all of these internal feelings that I had 
Um, I just didn't feel comfortable. I didn't feel safe in the world. And eventually that took its toll on my health because long-term stress, we know, has a really disabling effect on our internal systems, all our systems. But for me, it was what we're talking about here today, a belief and a feeling. And they were predominant throughout my life. And eventually I became so poorly because I was totally driven to making myself better as, as I sought to be academically and professionally better. So I strived, I think I pushed myself too hard to try and convince people outside of me that I was okay and that I could do really important things and be successful at them. So that's when everything fell apart for me, is that I got ill. Um, originally it was a virus, but then that was kind of what I think was, pardon the expression, the key or the nail in the coffin for me, because it took all of my systems out of my, inter, um, my thyroid system, my immune system. And at the time, I just had my daughter um, and I couldn't afford to be, I had no money. So I couldn't afford to go and get, we didn't do private therapy there. But the, I had an amazing doctor and he helped me immensely work through some of the things that were coming back, flashbacks, trauma from my younger days. And where I got into was a situation where I was going to all these different consultants, different hospitals, different departments, and everyone asked me the same question. And everybody wanted to hear my story. And of course, she repeated. In the repeating, I now realised that what I was doing was re-traumatising myself because the brain doesn't recognise whether it's a story or it's real. And I came to the conclusion that nothing could be found apart from my autoimmune system having major bubbles, meltdown, thyroid stopped. I got an immune disease that can't be fixed now. So it really disabled me to an extent. And I think they now call it chronic fatigue syndrome. But what predominantly came through was that nothing, and, and this isn't against the NHS or any medical profession, because I was, I was fully embracing all of it, but I needed to find a solution for me. And it was only when my yoga teacher, um, when I was in serious pain, and she was trying to do some very gentle work with me in the yoga class, and she she just put her finger on my spine, and I was terrified because I didn't trust people. I thought she would hurt me again. And she, it was the most gentlest touch I could ever have had and received at that time. Um, and instantly, as she put her hand on me, and still, by the way, <laughs> She was still taking the class as she worked on me on the seat. And my whole body, I could feel, was just kind of doing this really strange thing. I didn't know what it was, but it was like melting into the chair. And that was it. She never asked me a question. She didn't say, is it all right here? Does it hurt there? She just gently went down my spine. And after that, I could honestly say overnight, my, my pain eased and disappeared, not forever, but there was respite in it, and I was, I was utterly shocked. And the following week, I went back and I went, what did you do to me? Oh, my God, what did you do to me? And she said, I didn't do anything. I just did shiatsu. 
I'm going to tell you a listeners a really funny story. This is how probably not educated I was at the time. And I said, but that's a dog. And I, my sister and my brother have two shiatsus, totally different things. And she went, no, it's shiatsu, as in Chinese traditional medicine and working on the acupressure points like you would do with acupuncture, but with her attuned fingertips. And the intention was to balance the meridians in the body. I had no concept what she was talking about. Didn't even know I had a body, really. But that sparked that little light that said, that made a difference, and I felt different. And in that journey, I felt little moments of my body feeling comfortable. Quite a while earlier, um, my father committed suicide. And for whatever reason, we don't know. We could make stories up, but we still don't know. And it traumatised me and my family. And that was just another kind of layer. So all these layers were stacking up. And then when I started to do shiatsu, I thought, oh, I can, I can let these layers go down and get rid of them and I'll be okay. But my brother-in-law uh, got a rare cancer. And it was quite, it's quite traumatic, you can imagine, for the family. And I was training in this wonderful natural healing medicine. And everybody I heard at the time, and this was going back in 2000, beginning of 2000, said, you can't work with cancer patients. You can't touch cancer patient. You can't massage cancer patient. You'll spread the cancer around. And so I had to sit beside him, not even too frightened to touch his hand. And I had all this wonderful ability now. I was in my second year training as a practitioner. And I'd worked on many clients. And I saw the work that it had done, just like me, I'd received. So he sadly passed away and in a terrible, painful state. And I think that was the moment when I decided if I could learn and qualify, I will go back to college and I will find the skills and the qualifications to make sure that nobody ever leaves this world isolated fearful and alone Uh, that's that driver don that feeling of um not wanting people to feel the fear fearful full of fear and being alone yeah Um, i think that's probably what's drawn us together because uh, where what i'm building with the the community with blossom is because when you love someone who has an addiction so much of life is um for me became completely living in fear yeah fear of what I would find in the next room fear of how the day would unfold and while all of this was happening as time progressed feeling more and more alone as we built up these walls around us to hide what was going Mm. on um so you know that's what definitely what has brought us together and sparked this conversation around thoughts and feelings yeah and that was really predominantly my drive as because I was brought up with um around with alcohol around me um from from right off from the beginning I was born into the family and my father was a heavy drinker and was very unpredictable so for a child to be brought up in an unpredictable chaotic confusing world um 
it's not good for development as we can all now understand and and you've said it really eloquently and I think that's what caught my attention with you Kim is that you never knew how somebody was going to enter the door or the room or even react in the room Mm -hmm. because so my whole system and as I'm sure all my family and my siblings we're on constant alert. So our survival system was always switched on, our nervous system, um, because we just didn't know what was going to happen and and how he would present. And because the way that he did present, sometimes he was playful and happy. And I'm not going to say it was all trauma and tragedy. It was not. Absolutely. But it didn't matter to the chat to me growing up because I never knew what to expect when I walked in the house. We used to relish the day, Saturday, because he would go to the races or he would go to the pub and we had a whole day without him. And I know that sounds really horrifying to some people, but for the family, there was like this, there was like a cloud of calm would come around. And even my mum kind of just managed to settle down and we'd go to the park and we'd just sit and, and enjoy each other's company with all the children. And so they were special moments. And I did have them with my father as well, so I can't say he was all bad, he wasn't. But it was the impact of the not knowing what would come. And and I never understood. I can now understand that whatever was going on for him, come, I imagine, I don't know, came from his history. He was in pain, he was suffering. And we've only recently talked to two of my sisters and we've explored that about how people hold on to this pain, this feeling, or this belief that nothing can be done, or, you know, or the pain just makes them feel angry, and that is expressed to the very people that they really do love. And so it was a new learning for me the last couple of years to go back and look at it with different eyes, mm-hmm. taking out all of the emotional and the stories I'd made up about him uh, and saw it very clearly for what it was is that he was poorly and he was sick and whatever was going on he was eventually in pain because to do what he did um, if if we think about um, ourselves and you know we do try to create these stories to sort of understand try to put some meaning understanding around what is happening to our loved one but while we're doing that we're creating all of these thoughts in our own head creating these different stories that we tell ourselves which then triggers all of these feelings and like you talked about the day away from the chaos when I had times like that I then harbored some guilt because I felt that way and Mm -hmm. it's just this vicious cycle of all of these thoughts and feelings and so many things that trigger them off Mm -hmm. and it's now having met you (laughs) I know that we can do something about that can't we absolutely so tell us Don what can we do so we can change our thinking and our feelings it, it sounds very complex and people make it very complex and training, you know, if I say trained in 20 years, people are going to get, oh, but I'm not a therapist. That's all right for you. But it doesn't matter because we have a brain and we all have the same brain, not the same quality, 
you know, some are more academic, some are more intellectual, some have more skill and creativity, but it's a brain that does the most amazing thing and it heals every day. And we make new neurons, wires every day, and we update our behavior and our thinking every day when we want to. And it gets complex because we bring in all of those stories you've talked about. That, and that I call them scripts. And it's natural as children, we make those stories up to fit into a world that whether you're in a, um, whether you're in a family of chaos or in a, an environment of chaos or worry, children make up fairy tales in their head. So, you know, visible friends, and, you know, my friend and I am going for a walk and that's how children develop. So we make these stories up and then eventually we believe them and, and it gets complex because when other people tell us things about ourselves, how we are, who we are, our identity, you know, pointing fingers and, you know, you're silly or you're clever or you're a princess or you're stupid, if it's said long enough, we take that on and we make it our own. So we then own that belief. What can we do? Well, for me, it's taken me a long time to get back to this point, because as you know, I realised that it's just three simple things. First of all, it's three simple questions. And one of the questions we all get wrong, or I believe, so I'm going to own it, I found that when I switched these really important questions around, and took away the why and flipped in the what. And I only learned this last couple of years, and this is what's totally transformed my feelings now, um, is that the what gives the brain the ability to go and find a solution. Because we've all got solutions. Whether you're qualified in them or not is irrelevant, because the brain will say to you, you either know a thing, or you don't know a thing. And if you don't know a thing, then you say, so what can I do mm-hmm. in this moment? What step can I take to make myself feel better or be better or be safe? And the brain will then start to work on the process of moving you forward, not leaving you stuck, frozen in a place that you can't work out. Because for me, And a lot of my clients here, so um, I can only say my clients, they used to come in and say, why? Why do I feel this way? Why do I have this pain? Why? And it was only when I I started to explore that for myself. Um, I'd done mindful practice for a long time for trauma, um, not the kind of deep meditative stuff. And I realized, I thought, hold on a minute. I met Tony Robbins, and this is where we met. And I thought, he, he's mentioned this, you know, where your focus goes, your energy flows. And I thought, but my energy is not flowing. It's still stuck in this feeling, this sensation in my body. And when I started to explore with a therapist, I have to say, I'm not going to own it all on my own. They helped me go right back to the very core thing that kept me stuck and it was the core emotion that I'd locked in and we talked about this earlier with you in private 
that our bodies and our brain decide, or our brain decides that there are certain things that it will keep us safe from. And whether that's right or wrong, it doesn't matter to the brain. The brain will keep us in a place where it believes, as it doesn't have ears or eyes or sound, is the right place to stay. And if that means being locked in a place of discomfort to stop me going out in the world and meeting other people because people are not safe and they can't be trusted, that has my script. And if I get friendly and close to people, they will hurt me. And they do, because that's what people do, but not deliberately, I don't think. So maybe. So so there was this cycle of my thoughts and my feelings were running the show. And when I looked at the what, what was happening, I realised it was my three-year-old child, as I call her, my part, running the show. So that three-year-old was still there and she was scared and and that was the feeling because up to the age of a particular time and I knew it was there through transactional analysis so brain development in children and children up to about 18 months to three don't have the capacity to analyze like we do as adults they can only feel so when we get a feeling I think it's that part of me that's learned in the tissue how to respond to danger so my body was always responding to danger does that make sense yes that does make sense so with where we are today as adults yes yeah what do we do as adults to you know what going back to that question is what comes first thoughts or feelings and if we what can we do about those thoughts and feelings to change what we're thinking and what we're feeling that's well, the magic uh, thing that everyone's looking at. Is. We want to feel happy. We want to experience yeah. joy. Thank and you. we want to let go of the pain and the guilt and the shame mm. that has been this big, heavy blanket yeah. in our lives. We want to lift it off. Well, what do we do, Don? What do we do? Well, I'd love to do a little practice with you if, if you're yes, happy. Yes, Absolutely and demonstrate and I'm going to stop looking at my camera because I want to look at you here on the screen so your audience listeners looking please excuse me I'm going to just focus my attention on Kim and basically first things of three important things is to notice so become aware that something is going on in our body So we have to listen to the symptoms. Does that make sense? So we have a sensation in the body. And that sensation is the brain saying to us, take notice, there's something going on, and you need to listen and then take action. Because the brain can't do it, but we can as, as in the conscious state. So the three steps, become aware. Become open to what is happening and what you're feeling in the body. And then pause around and just say, be curious, go, oh, what's happening? Now, that question on its right, in its own, is huge because it means that you're paying attention to the feeling. But if I catch the thought and I listened 
as an observer, not getting caught up in the story of what I might think is happening, but stay grounded in my feeling. And like, you know, the present, and when I mean feeling, I can just put my hand on a cold table and that breaks my state and brings me right back into reality as grounding. And I can then kind of use that to calm my mind because feelings will only last for a few seconds, they pass. But in that moment of being triggered, uh, and we never know where those triggers are coming from that make those feelings, then what we have to do is pay attention to them and then look around. So the very quick thing what you can do is that, take notice of your feelings or even your thoughts because one will follow the other. But for me, it's always the feeling. And if I feel my breath getting a little shallow, and if I notice my, I can't, don't even do it. When your breath gets shallow, your chest comes in and your jaw gets tightened. Tight. And then what happens is your shoulders start to come forward. And what we're doing physically, the brain thinks we're in an attack and it, we want to curl up. So we get really smaller and smaller. And that was my release because I realized oh, I've got to change my posture doesn't matter what my brain thinks in the reality of the moment when I touch the table and I look around and there's nothing going to happen to me I do two things I put my hand here to acknowledge a part of me is feeling a bit nervous that's okay but it's false alarm if nobody's hurting me and I put my hand either on a surface that I can physically feel in this moment and that's usually my go-to. I put my hand here and I put something on a cold handle, um, a rail, a door, anything that you can hold the object. And that breaks the cycle of the false alarm and the false thoughts and emotions. Can we go through it a little bit slowly? Because you've said there's three things that we do. So, there is. Okay, so the first thing is when we notice a feeling or a thought. A feeling or a thought. And the way I teach my clients is don't go into the um, don't go into the negative. So this isn't to be done when you're in the flight fight, yeah. you know, you're having a panic attack. It will be brilliant later on because you can use it. But at the beginning, we always say start with a pleasant sensation. So it may be that you've got your feet on the floor. So let's do that together. So kind of wherever you are, you can do the standing sitting. If you're lying, use your heels. Uh, you can keep your eyes open, so it's great. You can do it outside. So just basically, let's go through. So all I'm going to invite you to do is just become aware, first of all, of your whole body. Mm-hmm. And your whole body means everything without getting caught up. Just the shape, maybe the weight. Just kind of, that's what I call a broad beam. So everything in my environment, my body. And they're around. So temperature, sound. The brain will want to go and pick one thing, but just notice what's around. And then just gather that all up with your attention. And then go for a journey down to your, let's make it specific. Yeah, go for a journey down your body, straight down, and place your awareness on your right foot and the big toe on your right foot. So that's very specific. And just notice what you notice. 
and what you sense and feel. And you don't have to do anything. There's no right and there's no wrong way. So you can't get it wrong. You're just noticing your big toe. And you might notice there's a sensation. There might be an ache or a pain. There might be a bit of warmth and space, moisture. All you're doing is just noticing what you're noticing, what you're sensing in that moment in your right big toe. And you might actually, like I was at the beginning, don't notice anything at all. You might not even know you've got a big right toe. And that gets all sorts of things going on. So, but notice, Mm -hmm. you know, are you being critical? Are you thinking about how silly it is? Or this is stupid? Or I don't know about anything about my big toe. They're all the things that we observe as we're noticing the sensation in our right big toe. So that's the kind of cycle. Mm -hmm. So pay attention. Just notice what you notice. And you might even notice the shape. And you may even be able to kind of imagine with your mind's eye just going around the edge of your big toe. Or perhaps taking in the whole foot if that feels better. So like chasing your shoe with your own, just with your mind's attention around your foot. So now you're taking in the whole foot mm-hmm. and what's there. And that's all we're doing. And what we're going to do is very quickly, because the mind will get fed up with that, broaden out. We're just taking, you know, get on with our day. So that's a very quick, easy practice to do that you can do wherever you are, cooking, cleaning, washing, having a shower, Notice the water, you know, what in this moment, what does the water feel? Maybe using your thumb and in the shower and just go for, for five seconds, 10 seconds. I'm just going to pay attention to the sensation in my thumb. So what is it like to put soap on my thumb? I don't know if you can see that here. And all I'm going to do is just rub and pay attention to my thumb. Does that make sense? Yeah. And in those little what I call micro calming moments, we're actually breaking the state of our mind from getting caught up in all the other automatic thinking that we don't really pay attention to. So that's the first thing you can do. Uh, Sorry, that's the second thing you can do. So the first thing is you have to notice that you're having, and only when you notice, don't go looking, don't go looking for stuff. But if you're having a nice warm cup of coffee, my favorite thing and let me get you a cup and I can demonstrate so you have your cup and you can hold it I don't know if you can see it so you hold a cup and it's cool my cup so I can pay attention to the sensation of what it's like to be cool in my hands and I can kind of say oh the weight and if it's a glass you'll kind of get a sense of the movement of the liquid so you're really kind of layering your awareness up to pay attention to the present moment it's only this moment we've got to pay attention to this cup and I can guarantee you'll have never experienced a cup in this moment like you will experience one of you pick it up and pay attention to it and then you might be able to layer that up with a pleasant aroma so you breathe in the aroma so you move that cycle from feeling sensing 
temperature, weight, smell, and you might even hear the sound of the liquid swishing around or something around you. But when we keep flipping from and to, we're soothing our whole nervous system and our mind. And we're pausing around, getting little micro boosts of energy. So we kind of rest our brain a bit. The intention eventually is to build them up into little bite-sized pieces. And as you know, I've got a thing that's called bits. And you take the bits and you put them together and weave them together like a little string of pearls in your bag. Sorry, gentlemen, if they're listening, but you gather these little pearls of attention in your day. And if we pay long enough attention, about 12 seconds to the sensation of what we're doing, paying attention to and noticing with real open awareness, then at the end of the day, what we gather is a whole bunch of pearls of really nice, pleasant, neutral memories and feelings and sensations. Rather than going to bed, this was me, with lots of the negatives, the negative beliefs, they didn't like me. I had a terrible day. I'm not good. I'm not clever. They're the things that run on in the background that cause really the most distressing feelings in us all. So that's that's that kind of second so I guess what I'm what I'm understanding because this is this is new to me so sometimes when things are new it's hard to grasp and understand um so instead of carrying on through my day with all those thoughts and feelings that show up and I just rush through my day with pulling those things along with me Mm the way to change those thoughts and feelings so that they're more positive and more in line with what I want in life mm-hmm. is to notice them. Yes. And when I notice them to run through that little exercise. Mm-hmm. And so the exercise of being this, this is the thing. If, if it was, if it was a little bit easier steps, I think it might be easier for me to understand. So to notice something that I'm feeling yeah and um oh what is this feeling yes what is this feeling Mm -hmm. and just sit with it and feel it yes and then to ground myself in reality Mm -hmm. and that's it that's That's it that's what we do so it's as simple as that as simple as that and okay so and then by doing that throughout the day at different moments Mm -hmm. it means that we're starting to ground ourselves in the moment yeah no to be by becoming aware of things Mm. instead of just letting it run yes automatically automatically where we have no control it's control that's it you've got it perfectly (laughs) (laughs) Um, it is basically that what we're doing is breaking the cycle of the automatic thoughts that we don't pay attention to but drive the emotion yeah and we don't know they're there do we majority of the time we don't sometimes we do so you know we can be aware of our own internal dialogue so what's the narrative so it can be quite critical yeah yeah so but the intention yes oh <laughs> uh, yes i'm pointing myself saying yeah yeah my critical self-dialogue we are we everyone that i know and i can only talk from my clients is that when we use our own internal dialogue to 
be critical about ourselves. It's the most vicious critical voice we give ourselves that we would never express out to a friend or, or even somebody we didn't like. We wouldn't use that dialogue outside of our, of our own internal realm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And the, the intention is that we don't go looking for it. But when we become aware of a feeling, a sensation in our body, the intention is to just, oh, there's a feeling. And we can say, what is it as well? Oh, what's that feeling? But well, that would then lead you open to go and find out what it is. Sadness, happy, joy, pleasant, neutral. The intention is, I've got a feeling, full stop. I'm aware in this moment, I've got a feeling. And then without going into a story or labeling it, that's the yeah. important bit. Yeah, we okay. just go in this moment, there's a feeling. So it's just literally observing that there's a feeling there That's and grounding just, and grounding um, yourself in the moment so you don't get swept away with the feeling. Absolutely. Because your brain will want to go and take you, oh, it's a pain, it's an ache, it's an itch, you know, it's kind of like um, a tickle, whatever, you know, it will always give you the answer. But if you can just go, I've got a feeling, I'm noticing this moment, I've got a sensation in my body uh, or I've got a sensation in my hand or... I've got a feeling in my toe, then what happens is you don't get the brain to go off and start telling you all about the big pain in your toe that, and then it's got a whole story around it. And then it'll take you way off into like automatic thinking and storytelling. Yeah. Okay. And then you just, in that process is when you can do that and you notice it and you just go, I've got a feeling. And then just notice your foot on the floor and pay attention because that's the bit that breaks the cycle between the negative and the positive. So you're just pacing. I'm in this moment. I've got a feeling. So it's my hand. So I'm going to have to go in my hand. I've got a sensation in my hand. Sensation. I pay attention to the sensation. I observe the sensation. So it's like observing the body in the body. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not going to get caught up in what it is. I'm not going to name it yeah. as pain or ache or itch. Now, for someone like me, that feels um, the old me would say that that's just too slow. That's not enough. I need to understand more now, 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 now. Um, I'm not just going to pause and think about, I have a feeling. So how, how do we get... What do we do to get from that place where we want all those answers now mm. and we want to just change something now to becoming that yeah. person who just is able to just, as you say, observe and recognize okay. that I'm having that sensation or I'm having that feeling okay, and just ground myself and leave it at that yeah no no that's great those are your little pearls so that exercise is kind of gathering your little pearls and if you keep it to a neutral or I always like to start off because it's, it's it's very easy but brains make it complex we make it complex as humans and if you keep it to a pleasant sensation so a warm shower brushing your teeth a cup of coffee nice cake you know can you bite a cake and just absorb the, you know hold it in your mouth and taste it 
So they're the kind of little pearls that you're going to collect that you can go back at the night and go, oh, I remember that gorgeous cake and coffee. And, yeah. da, da, da. and all of those nice, pleasant feelings come back. So you hold that. Thing at a time. One thing at a time. It's really important, Don, because you helped me understand that, you know, and I'm actually picturing putting a little pearl in my bag, something beautiful, um, because I always try to look for beautiful things or joyful things so yeah. it, for me I'm a visual person so yeah. I've always thought about what I can see in my day mm-hmm. and I've never thought about pausing more often and noticing the feelings that I'm having and yeah. collecting those lovely feelings like a little yeah. pearl that I can then string together at the end of the day because your day is going to just feel so much better yeah. if you do that it is it is. And I call them my string of pearls. I mean, I've done mindful practice for a long time for clinical practitioners to work in with trauma and, and palliative care. So we needed to have those very quick skills and techniques um, and then offer them to the people we're working with who are in trauma. Because what we wanted to do is to help them to really reground themselves quickly back in the present moment. Because for a lot of them, you know, they're having treatment and and some of it was very scary treatment. So my role then was to, you, we had to kind of experience it. So it took me three years to do the training in that, what we call mindful resilience enhancement. I was using my practice, my experience, and offering it, and this is why I'm offering it here. It isn't a secret thing. It's not even magical. We have the capacity. Our brains do it all the time. And I can guarantee if I see a pair of red shoes in the shop window, my attention will be zoomed right in and all I can see is a pair of red shoes. Mm -hmm. But the difference with this is that you then start to decide where you're going to pay your attention, not the other way around. So your brain's not running you. You're training the bits of your brain to say, I run the show, I'm in charge of the vehicle, and I choose to focus just for this moment in time, five seconds, the sensation of my big toe. And eventually what happens, it's like taking your brain to the gym. So you build up that resilience, and over time, you have then the capacity to notice, observe, and choose the response that you want. So it's all about choicefulness, really. Okay, no, that uh, that's making a lot of sense now. So uh, the practice of just choosing a pleasant sensation is a way of developing that skill. Yes. So that when the moment arises where, where your brain takes you back to a memory, which is unpleasant, sad, or, you know, because we do have a lot of those memories, mm. you're able to ground yourself and pull yeah. yourself out of it. Yeah positive state is yeah. my understanding right you are absolutely okay. really quickly of course that makes sense good but it's not about trying to change the experience because we can't change the experience yes. or, or the feeling so if you find that you've been taken back to an uncomfortable memory or a feeling or a sensation um what we all what i say with my clients anyway is don't go that you know leave it alone just get on with your day and when you've settled down a little bit and you're not so much in the memory or the distressful memory or the feeling, then find, you know, when you're having a cup of coffee, just go, what does this coffee feel like? What does it smell yeah. like? Cup of tea. 
nice hot bowl of soup. And it's in those moments you build up the resilience. So you don't want to go into the, you don't want to go into, what? how can I explain that? Yeah, you don't want to go running a marathon. Um, you know, you're not an athlete. So your brain hasn't got the capacity yet to hold that state while your body has been fired up into a really uncomfortable place. Yeah. Um, so if you imagine the Olympics that are on at the minute, they've taken like years and years. We don't have to take years, but you don't want to go right into doing the, you know, going for the gold medal when you're only just starting off on the track of, you know, being an athlete. Yeah. So keep it simple, keep it easy. If it's not easy and effortless, let it go and come back in a moment or two and do it again when you find a neutral or a present sensation and just focus for, I usually say three cycles of breath. So, you know, in, out, in, out, whatever your breath is, don't change your breath state. Um, don't, don't be doing the big yoga breaths, meditation breaths, because you're not practiced to do that either. And the brain will just think something else is going on. So just notice in a pleasant way. And, and then just take your attention down. And I'm, I'm going to invite people to start off, if they've never done it before, with the foot, a foot they can choose. And just notice that because the two things that are totally taking the mind away from and breaking the cycle of the feeling, the thought, a really horrible feeling, a really horrible thought. So, you know, the cognitive spike that we get and before we know we're two or three hours later and we're in a really uncomfortable place. So that's the aim, to build up enough resilience so that you don't get caught up in your negative spiral feelings and stories mm -hmm. okay that's wonderful thank you for that don so the one thing that um everyone can take away is that you can do something simple to yes. break that spiral yeah. of the negative thoughts and feelings and we can start by you know taking something pleasant and just observing how it feels absolutely and collect those moments throughout the day yeah training our brain to do that absolutely because the brain doesn't know absolutely the brain is locked up in a little black box it doesn't have sound sight smell so the only information it can have is what we give it and what we decide to choose our and focus our attention on so if we're focusing on a nice memory even so if you had a nice moment last week and, and you recall that nice, pleasant moment. So you might be with a friend having a lovely chat and it felt really comfortable. Then recall that because the brain will think just the same and respond just the same as though you were there. So it doesn't make a difference. So whatever you feed it is whatever the feeling you're going to get. So these are just little moments that you can start building up. So you've got something nice at the end of the night rather than, a whole load of other stuff a spiral of the other stuff okay that's wonderful well, thank you don um i always end every episode with gratitude i'm very grateful that you were able to be with me here today to share share this what's something that you're grateful for don oh so many things i think i'm just grateful that i've at this moment been able to offer really a part of me to the group to the people and and to say you know there's 
there is another way. So I'm grateful for my abilities and my and my passion to drive me forward and learn things so I can pass them back on to other people so they can feel better too. Mm-hmm. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Don. It's been my a pleasure. pleasure. This has been Smiling Again, hosted by me, Kim Moore. Let's walk this journey together, one thing at a time, taking small steps, little actions every day, which can help you let go and start smiling again. Don't forget, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. See you next week. Thank you.